welcome you back to the Wits End Podcast. And today, uh, George and I do welcome. This time, it's an actual special guest. It is Pastor Jim Alter. <laughs> He's from... <laughs> It's not a fake special guest like George. Or like Matt. <laughs> or like Matt. Matt is not special anymore. Everyone knows him. He's old hat. But today is a special man. We have one of the reformers with us, uh, <laughs> Brother Jim Alter, pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Sydney, Ohio. Now, if you know Brother Jim at all, that was kind of a put down right off the top, but I can't help it. Look at the man. Yes. It Welcome, is. Brother Jim. If a if a non Calvinist can be a reformer, I guess that's me. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, you have the look anyhow. You have the look of a learned divine. I will say that. Mm. Mm. Oh, wow, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> Amen. Well, we hope that you put some of that divinity into uh, play today, brother George. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna head back today into our running commentary. And hopefully it's not running away from us. I hope it's helping you. Uh, I've enjoyed it. had a great time. But talked the last couple episodes about Israel. And uh, I learned a lot from George on that. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to those, you should jump in and do that. And before we get into our, I'm going to have uh, Brother George going to introduce our topic for today. Before we do that, I want to say, before I forget, you need to go to Brother Jim's website, gracebaptistsydney.com. Is that correct? Yes, S-I-D-N-E-Y. Okay, go there and look for some sermon series. There's a couple that have been particularly helpful for me. Uh, one is the uh, History 101, very good series. Hmm. And uh, you'll find yourself helped by that one a great deal. And then there's a couple other ones on the King James Bible. One is by Brother Lawrence Vance. Can you talk about a couple of those things real quick? Yeah, so Christianity 101, um, I wanted to help people understand you know, what are the basics of Christianity. And, you know, someone has said that all religions are fundamentally the same, but only superficially different. And so my premise for that series was, yes, they're, 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 all religions are the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, God, man, the, the church, the nature of the church, its members, and eternal salvation. Other than that, all these religions are completely the same. So that's kind of the premise for that series. Um, mm -hmm. And then when Dr. Vance came, Lawrence Vance is one of the three leading scholars on the history of the English Bible in the world. Um, the, the first would probably be David Norton. Ward Allen died recently, but Ward Allen was Lawrence Vance's mentor. So Dr. Vance is one of the leading scholars on that. And so he came to our church and he did the making of the King James Bible. And he shows the connection between the 1602 Bishops Bible and our Bible. And it's just phenomenal. And I highly recommend anything that he writes. Um, he's, a, he's a close friend. He's an independent Bible-believing Baptist, but he's also a brilliant scholar. And we, we don't know very many scholars. George is a scholar. But uh, it's, it's good to know. I'll help like the that. circus clown get ready. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, yes. I'm not qualified to be the circus clown. I just carry his stuff. Okay, so I made a mistake. Uh, it is not History 101. Christianity 101 and then the... History That Matters. Okay, it's the History That Matters series. Um, and apparently it doesn't matter enough for me to remember the name of it, but it is a very good series. 
Um, I have not listened to the Christianity 101 series, but I'm, a cert- I'm certain that is very good. But the history that matters, man, there's one in there about the death. What, what is that one called? The death of the church, death of a church, the, the death of a church. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. It and that was a phenomenal church good. in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it just shows what happens. It starts by giving up your English Bible. And then it moves into all the destruction of higher criticism that happened. But that's that's following um, some of the foundation of that's just your interpretation and some of those other things. But that history that matters, the, the premise behind that is how did things get where they are? Uh, how, how did Islam become the way it is? So I have one called Islam and the Crusades, the history of modern terror. Uh, I have another on that's just your interpretation. So often when oh, we're teaching, you know, we read a passage and someone will say, that's just your interpretation. What's the history of biblical interpretation? What's the difference between a literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of the text and everything else? And how did those develop? And I, I discuss that. And then there's another in there on uh, modern philosophy. Where did modern philosophy come from? And so I do a brief history of that. And then I have another message on how to raise a postmodern child. And I take <laughs> statements that people have made to me and I demonstrate the errant philosophy that they're, that that is behind what they're saying. Someone said what the what the mind is asking reveals what the heart is believing. And um, so that's kind of the heartbeat behind that. Why are things the way they are? And that's that's where they, mm-hmm. I did about 600 hours of research for that series. And um, it, it, I'm thankful for the way the Lord's used it. We should put the we can put the link it. in the YouTube uh, description. Oh, excellent! I'd like, I'd yes, like we will do that. Yeah, you know this. He was one of the first, brother Jim. You were one of the first that uh, gave me. You actually gave me the transcription. Someone did the transcription of those of those videos uh, of those um, sermons, and it helped me a great deal. I did that series, almost all of it. I used a lot of it, and I built a little bit out on that um, church that died. Um, the death of a church, and I was able to get in touch and find the uh, a PDF version of the booklet that you mm-hmm. uh, read and built on about that church, and it's amazing that that whole thing. It'll scare you. Um, won't take the time to go into it, but just wet your whistle a little bit. Go and check that stuff out. You can see you you inspired me. See those books right behind my head? That's the um, the Francis Schaeffer series mm. that you recommended yeah. about about you know philosophy and so forth, and Scripture warns real us books. obviously you have about real books philosophy. Behind you. <laughs> I do, and I have, and I have Mine, something mine's else. A green screen. I have. <laughs> you can see the Michael Jordan Wheaties box behind me from 1992, <laughs> I think. Oh, brother, classic! And uh, but I really, I really enjoyed that series. So I wanted to say that to you. Now we're we're already seven minutes in. We're burning daylight, brother George. Set us up for a dunk. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, verses 16, 17, as we continue dialoguing through the Bible. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now there's a lot to unpack there, so. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, to bring you up to speed, for those that were following, uh, back a, a couple podcasts ago, we, we spoke specifically about how the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden, which was right. a garden in the land of Eden. 
and he gave him a job to dress and to keep. We talked about improving and protecting, arranging and guarding, whatever you want to call it, and how our job as men uh, continues to the same, except now we have enemies. And it's, it's interesting to me to find that when God put Adam in here, in the garden, gave him these jobs, and then he gave him a rule, a boundary. Right. And so everyone has to have a mission, has to have a job, uh, but they also have to, every man needs to know what his boundaries are. And what's interesting here is this, if I'm not mistaken, this is the passage that Eve misquoted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because she and left out the word freely, is that correct? Yeah, she added uh, she added the word "don't touch." She took out "freely," and she changed uh, "surely die" to "lest you die." And uh, so we can we can take that mm-hmm. route. But to follow along what you're saying about setting up parameters um, and boundaries, that's kind of if I'm not mistaken, that's the first reference to freedom in the Bible, and um, you can clearly see how man is given free will of God, but the Lord sets the parameters and wherein that free will functions. Um, so there's there's already clearly some things that God has set, like there's an, there's some inabilities. We don't have the freedom to do things that we're incapable of, for example, physically or mentally. But we still have a wide range of freedom, uh, even the freedom of actually going out and eating from the forbidden tree. It's not like the Lord renders Adam mm. incapable of reaching for it. He gives him the capacity to reach for it and eat it, but he uh, he gives him the choice to choose yes or no. So there's all kinds of things we can unpack there just uh, relative to a man's free will, which sadly in, in uh, at least modern day Calvinism is uh, the notion that man has free will is looked upon as a pagan. Mm. I'd love to and, hear and, Brother uh, one of the things uh, thoughts on that stuff. I saw just recently that Mark Driscoll said that free will is demonic, that the teaching of right. free will is demonic. Right, really? which is the, yeah, yeah, he called it demonic, and he's not the first. It's been called a pagan goddess that the church has exalted the goddess of free will too long, and and the irony is is rich and deep because one of the marks of Gnostic religions is that they're fatalistic, and that basically the fate. That's what we talk about the fates, right? Everything is set. Babylonian astral astral religion was precisely that. Uh, even in Islam, there's a tinge of that that things that happen mm-hmm. are written. So one of the marks of pagan religions is precisely fatalism, that you are not in control to any degree uh, of your fate and of your destiny. It was It's already pre-planned, it's pre-programmed, it's pre-written. So I'm not sure how a statement like that can be made. It's so historically irresponsible. Brother Jim? Yes, the this passage, it, and I'm sure that you guys have laid groundwork for it, But, you know, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if you don't believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis are actual history, then nothing that we preach or practice has any validity. That's the foundation. That's this this fall that happens here. You know, for as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. This is the foundation of everything. And there are several concepts here. As George has already pointed out, the freedom. And I think it was Norman Geisler who said, God created freedom and man performs acts. And the idea that every act is foreordained, you know, the Calvinist who fell down the stairs and said, thank God that's over with. Hmm. The, the, the idea 
that every action is foreordained. It, it's just not found anywhere in scripture. And it begins with that concept of the one all-encompassing divine decree, whereby God ordained everything that would ever happen. And, you know, as a concept, I suppose that, um, that, that it's a good mental exercise to think about that. The only problem is the Bible never says that. And nor does any combination of passages say that. So on the concept of free will, clearly God gave a choice between good and evil. Why? Because love that's not chosen is not love. And you know, every woman who's ever had the advances uh, of, a, of a man that she did not want understands that. And so, you know, if a guy wants to club a girl over her head and drag her into a cave like a caveman, she's not going to love him. Uh, that, and that's not the God that we worship. God gave us a choice. You can eat freely and you can be free, completely free, or you can be under the bondage and slavery of sin. And of course, man chose the bondage and slavery of sin. And the thing about this passage, one of the things that jumps out at me, um, apart from the freedom that George was talking about, was it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the knowledge of good was already there. When God created mm -hmm. everything, he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. The only thing that was added was the evil. And from Genesis 3.15 on, where God said, I'll put uh, enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. We have the battle of the seeds that happens where Satan will destroy the try to destroy the seed of David. He'll try and destroy the, the seed of the virgin by attacking the Jewish people and the Jewish race and that line. Everything that happens from then, beginning with Cain and Abel, he has that attack. But there's another attack. Spiritual warfare. People have this concept of spiritual warfare that we're, we're fighting demons. Any place that you identify spiritual warfare, it's always a battle of the mind. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Um, and even where Paul says to Timothy, uh, where, where God peradventure will give them, uh, oh, what's it called? Repentance. repentance. Yeah, repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Why? Because they're taken captive by Satan at his will. How? They're controlled in their mind by him. So the knowledge of the tree of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only did it open us up to evil and bring sin in, but that also began this battle of the mind. And that's why all of our battles as believers, it's not that which enters into a man that defiles the man, but that which proceeds out of him. Um, my, my battle is not with the television. My battle is not with, with movies or with, with what women wear on the culture or with wanting nice cars or nice things or whatever. My battle is my mind. It's, and, and I have an evil mind. All that is in me is evil. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? And I'm very right. thankful that I'm now spiritually alive and I have the new man which is able to think spiritually. Yeah. But everything to, that's in me fights against it. This is the foundation of it. To bring a nuance here, because I, I was a Calvinist for three years, uh, and I know you know this, uh, Brother Jim, but for the audience, when you say all that is within you is evil, um, <clears throat> we don't mean that, that that evil has spread so fully as to touch every part of our being, including our will, because that's kind of like where the Calvinists would jump in. And they would say, exactly, even, even your will has been so corrupted by the fall of Adam that you, Unless regenerated, you do not you do not have the innate capacity to to respond positively to the gospel, and so 
I'm just saying that for the audience that even yeah. though we believe in depravity, nobody, you know, any Bible believer believes that we're depraved, as you said. Uh, you know, for, and Paul says, for <clears throat> I know that in me that is in my flesh. And I find that interesting that he qualifies that dwelleth no good thing. Um, but even a fallen man, you still have the responsibility and the ability to respond positively to the gospel when presented. Well, that's why God had to write his law in our hearts in Romans 2. Right. He, he had to do that because we are so sinful. If he didn't do that, then we would not that's have good. the capacity to respond to the gospel. And I think that that total depravity that you're describing that the Calvinist teaches, which, of course, is total inability, it, yeah. total depravity is taught in the scripture. Total inability is not taught in the scripture. Right. Uh, to, that, that, that's kind of the way that I say it. I think we're saying the same yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 we are. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would I want to jump in at that point and say, uh, when he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And I think that's where people get confused, and, and I have heard... Uh, people say that man can do nothing to communicate with God. He's spiritually dead. And so that's why you have to invent this concept of regeneration so that God regenerates a soul so that it can communicate with him so that it can receive salvation. And the problem with that is if, if it is true that man died spiritually when he took of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then why was God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, communicating when he said, Adam, where art thou? Um, why was God communicating and why was Adam hiding himself? And then later on, he does communicate with him. Uh, and this is before he made the, he, he took coats of skins before that uh, sacrifice was made. God was communicating with Adam and with Eve in their fallen state. Yes, it is possible for a belief, for a person who, has in in their sin has has chosen to reject God and has has for has eaten the forbidden fruit it is possible for them to respond to God and that's an important point i think what you're saying george it's not that man can do nothing nothing it's somehow taking away from the glory of god well i would put it back and say you're taking away from the glory of god if you're saying that that uh, god did not allow man to do something or constricted man in such a way that it plainly does not teach in scripture. Yeah. Actually, if, if anything, the, the devil, the lie of the devil wasn't a full lie. When he said, you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. It's true. We ended up knowing good and evil because the Lord himself bears testimony to that. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter three he says, this is verse 22. He says, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Mm. So if anything, we actually gained the knowledge an unfortunate one, uh, but we gained the knowledge. Uh, so that kind of goes against the narrative of utter degeneration. It's a, it's an evil knowledge. Granted, it corrupted us, but we did gain a, a certain knowledge that um, kind of that was exclusively the property of uh, deity and maybe of the angels. I don't know. I, I don't know about the angels. And the Lord says. He's be, even after this fall, he says he's become as one of us to know good and evil, which means we retained our knowledge of good even after the fall. Mm. Mm. That's good. It's not like we lost the knowledge of good and we only now have the knowledge of evil. Mm. Both are there. Yes. Right. And that's like the image of God that was that was lost. It was not entirely lost. Um, Excellent. Uh, God made us. God made man in His image. Adam had a son in his own image. But at my point, 
I've always asked the question, where did Adam get an image to give to his son? He got it from God, but it was broken. It was, it was distorted. It was twisted. So it was there, but in a distorted, twisted fashion. And that's the religious side of man. It doesn't, it's self-righteousness, like my goodness and God's goodness get twisted. And, and that's why he said he gives grace to the humble, to the humble, not to the proud. Yeah, the kind of the way that I've tried to express that is um, in order to have the image of God, you have to be a son of God. Mm -hmm. And Luke 3.38 says that Adam was the son of God. And a son of God is a direct creation of God. Mm -hmm. So the sons of God in uh, Job 38, they're direct creations of God. Um, when you get saved, you become a new creature. Old things are passed away and you become a son of God. You are now a direct creation of God, not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of God, mm -hmm. according to John chapter 1. So I don't believe that lost men actually do have the image of God. I think that the only way you can have the image of God is to be a son of God. And that's why Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. Um, so that, that's kind of where, right. where well, I Would, would you say that they have a corrupted version of the image of God? Possibly. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible says that we're his image, his likeness, um, after we get saved. Uh, and that's when we take on the righteousness of Christ. So I, I, on, on the total depravity, you know, the Bible says in me, there's no good thing in my flesh, like you said, George. Uh, but, you know, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. You know, the, the, I, I don't think that I really don't think that there is any good in man that God acknowledges apart from Christ after the fall. You know, that reminds me of, of Jeremiah 18. And, and push back on me, if you will. That, that's, that's where I am. Well, I think, you, I think you're exactly right. My, my point is, where did, the, where did the material, the substance, where did man come from? He came from God. He's a creation of God. And yet yeah. he has fallen. So I think of Jeremiah 18, where they go down to the potter's house and they look, and the, the hmm. vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel. And that first vessel is us as fallen man. It's marred in the hand of the potter. It's not because of anything the potter did. It's because of what's in the clay itself, the choices, so to speak, that the clay made. And so what does God do? We're born again. We're made again in the image of God spiritually. Yeah. And then the adoption is promised and, and the earnest of the spirit is given to us that he is also going to redeem our body and he's going to make That's our right. body like the image. All creation groans for it, even we ourselves. Yeah. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to discuss this, maybe to have you on again when we discuss this, the image of God, like in Genesis chapter five, we can get into it uh, more in depth. But as I'm listening to you guys speak, and I was thinking, uh, Brother Jonathan and I were discussing foreknowledge this week, the foreknowledge of God. We almost did a podcast about it today. But, you know, when I look at that, that is actually where uh, <clears throat> kind of the focal point of the discussion is. Uh, you know, the Lord knew he created man, he, and he, we, we know that he gave him the, the freedom to choose, but he knew that um, Adam would choose to eat of the knowledge of, uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm not sure. I mean, I've read essays by Boyd and, and, and uh, Helm and others. I'm not sure where the hiccup is, why, uh, at least in the, in the Calvinist mind or Augustinian mind, that foreknowledge, you guys maybe can tell me about this because Jonathan and I were talking about this, 
they see that if something was foreknown of God, then it must have been predetermined. There's almost a confounding of foreknowledge and predeter predeterminism. And I just don't see the the conundrum. Like I, well, the Lord knew that uh, Adam would sin, and He still created him. Did that mean that? Adam, does that negate Adam's free will? I don't see that it does. But a lot of people think it does. So I'm not sure why. What is it that I'm missing in their reasoning? It's like oh, an honest question. I don't. I don't think. I don't think you're missing anything. I think that that they are creating something, and. For, because what they are conflating foreknowledge and ordaining. And so it's like when you tell your son, okay, you ride your skateboard down that hill. Here's what's going to happen. Do you want your son to ride the skateboard down the hill? No. You're telling him that because you know when he rides that down the hill, he's not going to be able to stop. He's going to get hurt. And what does your son do? He's probably going to ride the skateboard down the hill and he's going to get hurt. And you've got two options. Imprison the son, take the skateboard away so he can't ride it down the hill, or you can teach him to be responsible. Um, the, the idea that God is less of a father than I am, that, that, that's so offensive, isn't it? it? It's just so offensive. And we as preachers, we, we can't, I tell our young people, you know, if you follow this path, you'll end up living in a van down by the river. <laughs> Eating a steady diet of government cheese. That's exactly right. And why am I saying that? Because I've seen it all the time. You, you can just watch that this happens. So because I know that's where they're going, do I want them to do that? That conflation of knowledge and, and free will, is it's, it's silly. And the idea of limiting God's omniscience to my choice, that's offensive. So the open theism, it, it, it's, it's amazing. It seems like some of the best defenders against open theism have been the Calvinists. And I think that some Bible believers have jumped on the bandwagon of open theism as a reaction to Calvinistic uh, predestination. Mm -hmm. And I think that anytime we react, uh, th then we have error. And the Bible doesn't tell us to react. The Bible tells us to stand. And the idea that God doesn't know what choice I'm going to make until I make it, that's what the most, that, that, that might be the most absurd thing I've ever heard. As a matter of fact, I think I'm dumber for having thought of it. Just <laughs> there. It's just so, Jesus talking to the uh, Pharisees and he knowing all things, he, knowing what they would do. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. He, he, he knows all of those things. So the idea that God's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs, waiting for me to respond to something, that, that's, that's just as absurd as saying that God uh, has ordained people to sin. So what do you think, Brother Jonathan? Maybe you understand their argument better Forgive me if I'm too than I do. Well, I think, no, I, I think one of uh, open <clears throat> theists would say, and if you haven't run into it, um, I think there is some there is certainly a quality of open theism that is reactionary, no doubt about it. But the idea would be, um, not only does, like like a, a master chess player, what are they called, grandmaster of chess? Yep. Not only, he, he does not know exactly which move you're going to make, but he knows all possible moves that you could make. And that's what open theism would, would argue, that God does know the future, 
but not just one. He knows all possible futures. And that therefore everything is open. And whatever, if you make that choice, that's something he already knew. But as far as I think, as, what you're what you're, if I, I may be mistaken, but I think what you're describing is more the Molinist view, because the the open theist view is he doesn't know the future except where he intervenes to shape it. Because the future, for the in the open theist um, viewpoint, it's saying that God knows a future action is the equivalent of saying God creates a rock that he cannot move. For them, it's a logical fallacy because the future doesn't even exist. So he can't know something that doesn't exist hmm. unless he knows what his intention is to intervene <clears throat> and cause something. But the Molinist view, then the Lord knows all possible counter, counter they call them counterfactual contingent futures, what could have been. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I, sure. I'm sure there is someone um, that is laughing sardonically right now at, at my <laughs> attempt to explain this ism. But, 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 you, but what, what do you think, what do you say about, do you understand their argument that if something is foreknown, like God knows, foreknows that Adam is going to sin, and once he creates Adam, therefore Adam is, has to, he's going to have to sin because that's what the future is. And so in that sense, God basically it causes Adam to sin. And of course, we would say that's Does a that... Right. Right. That's what, that's what I would say too, but maybe I'm missing yes. something in their reasoning that... Well, it, it all goes back to their conflation of knowledge and will. And that if God... It, it, and on the flip side, on the open theism side, the way that I would say it, and again, I'm no master theologian or anything. Um, the way that I would say it is, of course, God knows every possible outcome of every situation without thought. He, he just knows right. it. He doesn't have to consider it. He just knows it. But I would go to the next step and say, he also knows which of those choices I will make. While allowing me to make the choice that's... yeah that's that's kind of where i live on this it's yeah. i mean uh, uh, bohemius uh, developed like augustine's foreknowledge he basically he spoke about the timeless god his solution to the conundrum was basically god is outside of time and he doesn't need to look down the corridors of time to discover anything he sees all i didn't know that was the origin of that but that's exactly what i would say yeah <clears throat> so yeah so he kind of formulated it for augustine he was who's he was a disciple of augustine but uh, from what i see in the bible uh, and I want to be, always be careful not to get a philosophical understanding of the Lord. Just let the scripture base mm. my, you know, let the scripture inform the philosophy. From what I see, I see a God that lives both in time and out of time, not just out of time. Yeah, you know, he like, entered I, time for us. Yeah, right? well, yeah. even in, not just in the incarnation in His Son, even like in the fact that He, you know, the the eternal God in the Old Testament before the incarnation, the, the very fact that He experiences new emotions. You know, like his anger, his anger got kindled. Well, you must be experiencing time somehow for your because you weren't angry before. Now you're reacting to a, a sin, and then your wrath is being kindled. He's described as the ancient of days before his incarnation. So, I'm not sure. Like you know, and it's, it seems to me like there's no disconnect between those two thoughts that the Lord is both mm -mm. in time and out of time. And for some reason, I don't see that view really propounded, but. I don't see any contradiction in those things. You know, I mean, if, I, if I'm the creator God, can I not? It's like Jesus Christ on earth. He says, the son of, uh, you know, no man hath sent up to heaven, but he which is in heaven, even the son of God, which, uh, 
even with, you remember the passage, even the son of yes. God, which is in heaven. So he's saying I'm in two places simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And if, if the incarnate son of God could be in two places simultaneously, why can it he be not in two times simultaneously, both inside and out of time? So in a sense, he is looking down the corridors of time to dis- quote unquote discover, but at the same time, he lives on a transcendent plane where he doesn't look down. He's beholding all eternity in one kind of singular moment, if I can say. So, first of all, isn't this fun? Mm-hmm. This is so fun right now, having these conversations. Yeah, it's Second, dopamine. It's theological dopamine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm the dope. Um, so, a foundational thought that I have in these discussions is anytime we describe God, we diminish him. And that's why, because he's indescribable. He, he doesn't fit into language. He doesn't fit into to philosophical concepts. And he doesn't fit into most theological constructs. Well, I, And that's why we're always the safest go ahead. simply quoting the Scripture, what the Scripture says about God. Right. I, that, what, what I was going to say right there is, I yeah. think God, if we could understand the Bible as God understands it, we would understand God. That's good. Because I, I liked that. The Bible is God. You're smarter on paper. than you look. <laughs> That's not saying much. The, the Bible is God on paper. And yeah. he, 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 it is his word. It is his spirit. Wow. Right? And so yeah. I think that we have to try to describe God. But like you said, if we stay within the construct of Scripture, it's amazing to me how many times I have tried to explain spiritual things without using the Bible. Yeah. Remember the former things of old for I am God declaring the end from the beginning. So George, you were talking about God being not only transcendent, but imminent. Um, right. right. That, that would be the language. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I think that that is clearly the language of scripture and he is capable because he's outside of time. He's able to observe all things simultaneously that that's not a problem and yet he did enter into time and you gave the example of his anger was kindled and the you know my only response to that would be he knew his anger would be kindled and he chose for his anger to be kindled <laughs> i mean he that that that's the only way that i can express it with but, my finite and uh, your time your point george mind. your point on that george was that there was a time before his anger was kindled and then his anger was kindled. So he, yeah, because he knew it, yeah. but it yeah. hadn't happened well, yet. There are places right. where like he expresses surprise. Like in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter five, he says, I've, I digged, I digged out a wine press. I set a hedge about the vineyard vineyard. I built a wine press in it and a tower. And I looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. I mean, that's one example that comes to mind, but there's, there's places where he's expressing um, you know, surprise. And not only Jesus has incarnate the son of God, who's limited in his humanity, not in his deity, of course. And so the only way that that could, uh, and there's scores of examples in the Old Testament, the only way that I can think of, and there might be another way where the Lord experiences that element of surprise, uh, because as I always like to say, otherwise you can never tell God a joke. He would never laugh because, you know, he knows the punchline already. I mean, who I don't want to have that kind of relationship with the Lord, you know, <laughs> it's like, Lord, you heard that one? <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> you know. Well, think I want to be able it. to surprise him with something. What you're saying, George, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. We we look at God as he either runs 
PC, he either runs, you know, right. Microsoft or he runs, you know, Mac iOS, um, Mac OS, and that God, we, we run PC, and so obviously God is cooler, so he runs Mac, you know, all the geeks out yeah. there would say amen. But, <laughs> um, but, but the idea is, well, he can't have both. And what you're suggesting is God can run both. He can run. Yeah, I, I think he can. And I think the way I can think of, maybe you guys can bring some novel notion here, but is I can see God limiting his omniscience um, whenever he wants and tapping into it whenever he wants. Um, <clears throat> because he's God. It's like, you know, we think of a, it's like quantum particles. They can't, they can kind of be two places at the same time. We can't quite explain it, but we're beginning to understand it. Uh, and there's a reflection of. Well, no, no, we. I mean, when I say we, I mean, I mean, mankind. You know. The royal we. Yeah, the royal we. Yeah. Um, so he kind of, because you see Jesus doing that. Like I know Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus says that even the Son in the Gospel of Mark doesn't know the day of his coming. But I believe Jesus, in his deity, can tap into that knowledge if he so chooses. Mm -hmm. He's just choosing not to tap into that knowledge, and so that's yeah, what he, I see. When he, when he came, he surrendered the free and independent exercise of his deity while he was in the flesh. Correct. And, and I think and, there in John 17, when he prayed, now a father restore to me the glory, which I had with thee before the world was. I think from that point on, now he knows, um, you know, after the ascension, I should say. Uh, but I agree. He did limit his knowledge, even though it says, and he knowing all things. It, right. He, it said that so him while he was in right. the flesh. Right. So he's limiting his knowledge and, yeah. Why can't, so I can see like, you know, the, the trying God. I don't know. Me neither. Me yeah. neither. But we see comp compartmentalization uh, in, in And in don't you structures. think some of those are anthropomorphisms, though? Like his surprise and things like that. I, no. No? No. I believe it, it's, 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 we are, I think it's, it's kind of like, uh, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, saying uh -oh. that God, he, he, he I'm sorry. Uh-oh. <laughs> Bringing oh. the orthodox people in now. Go ahead. Yeah, well, no, but like, I mean, there's, they, it's not like they have no truth at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm just but, a smart uh, aleck. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So he basically <laughs> said, saying that God is anthropomorphic, saying that there are anthropomorphic expressions of God, I'm paraphrasing him, is an anthropomorphic thing to say to begin with. <laughs> I like uh, that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I think we're created in his image, and it's not, if I mean, they are meant to be received as they are. That the Lord really does have eyes. He really does have hands. His anger really does get kindled. The only concern we have is, oh no, because Greek philosophy was concerned about that. That would mean God has changes. God would mean God is limited. So let's rescue him out of that perceived weakness and let's make him an ever contemplating God with no changes at all. And my answer with that to be was, you don't have to do that. He's both eternal. And he also has, if he's omnipotent, he also has the power to uh, to limit himself, compartmentalize his knowledge sometimes, allow himself to experience surprise, while on a background kind of functioning uh, level, be able to not be surprised by anything. Hmm. You mentioned that verse about uh, the Son of Man which is in heaven. Uh, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven... John three thirteen, even the Son of Man, right, which is in heaven, man, which is in, that's and it. it's interesting that he uses the phrase the Son of Man, which is in heaven, and that's prophesied back in Daniel seven about the Son of One, like unto the Son of Man, or in Psalm eight, you know, uh, what is man that thou visitest him, or the Son of Man that thou 
what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him. And he talks about, obviously, we know it's Adam, but then as you think about it's it also is referring to Christ. When you combine those those two things, uh, Psalm 8 and Daniel 7, you have a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, and Christ referred to himself in the third person as the Son of Man, the Son of Man. So when he says there in John 3, no man of the sin which is in heaven, he's talking about himself. I find it interesting because here he is on earth, the Son of Man. Well, obviously he was born of a woman, but he's in heaven as well. So there's this crossover that's happening between his deity and his humanity. And he's, he's saying, I'm the same one. I'm, now, he physically wasn't in heaven, but he, the Son of Man, is in heaven at the same time. It, it, it's a mind blower. That's all I can think about this, this episode is a mind bender. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the key... Yeah, I, I love it when... Here's, here's what my desire would be for this conversation. That anyone listening is aware that none of us think we've adequately described Correct. God in this conversation. We're just trying to, with all the gifts that God gives us and all the information God gives us, express who he is in a way that is not blasphemous. Yeah. And anything that limits God is blasphemous. So saying that God can limit his, himself, is that blasphemous? I don't believe so, because Jesus identified there are things that he didn't know at that particular point. So um, I, I just think this is really valuable. Yeah. To, well, to, it's, a, it's an expression of his omnipotence, the fact that he can restrain himself. Yes. You mm. know, that's kind of what we tell Muslims, because Muslims will object, say, God cannot incarnate. And then we ask him, doesn't the Quran say that he's all-powerful? Yes. Well, can he then not incarnate and limit himself to experience death? You know, that's that's we're trying to exalt the Lord. Absolutely. We believe he's great. Also, I would say to what you, I, I amen everything you just said, Brother Jim. I would also tell the guys listening, uh, this is a fun exercise and it's great. The Lord allows us to do those things. That is the honor of kings to search out a matter. The Bible says, it also says the heaven for height, the earth for depth, and the heart of kings is unsearchable. And the Lord is a king, of course. And so he's unsearchable. But don't think that spirituality lives in um, theological neuron firing discussions. Because sometimes young people could mistake all oh, like, you know, being spiritual is having these deep intellectual discussions. And not necessarily, you cannot understand uh, any of those terms and still be a godly. Uh, you know, what's important at the end of the day is obeying the Lord. Mm, but yeah. it's fun to talk about that because it's so much better than talking about vain things. Yes. Well, and it's so fun in these conversations to see the giftedness that God brings. So you have all the language and your ability to do that. And um, uh, Jonathan, with his musical ability and his, his poetic approach to things, and then I'm just black and white logic is kind of my approach. And it, it, it makes a conversation like this so multifaceted and enjoyable. I, I'm so enjoying this. Well, I'm glad to hear that because um, we definitely want to have you come back on. What I want to do is, I, 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 you, you mentioned that, George, about uh, the heart of the king is unsearchable. And it reminded me of, um, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, Psalm, uh, Romans 11.33. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For well, who hath amen. known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? And he... Augustine, obviously. No, that's right. <laughs> John Piper. I forgot. Yeah, John, that's right. <laughs> he hath known the mind of the Lord. Yes, but the thing is, but that, we have the mind of Christ. That's the mm. that's the that's the counterbalance to that. We have right. the mind of Christ, and 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 we can yeah, know right the mind here. of Christ. Yeah, come on. It, it's the who who knows it. The Spirit, the Spirit of God, searches all the deep things of God. The Spirit of God, which is in us, which is on paper. It's it's beyond. It's what's, what I love about God is what you're saying, George, and I think we all agree. God is so much closer than we think, and He's so much further away than mm. we can imagine. He's so much bigger and so much smaller all at the same time. Like God was not in the fire. He was not in the uh, in the whirlwind. Um, he was not in the earthquake. He was in the still small voice. Where, in the cave, and yet God was the one that allowed all those things to happen. And it's a phenomenal thing when I think about the the, the greatness of God and the closeness, the intimacy that we could have with God. Uh, That's the condescension, isn't it? Yes. That He condescended yes. yeah. to not only reveal Himself to us, but to actually be in us. I want to yeah, come back, circle back to Genesis two. I love, and I just wanted to use that term "circle back" because it sounds so hip. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're we're gonna pencil it in. Circle. It, wasn't wasn't Jane? What is it? You, you guys as uh, White House? Uh, That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> what was that? She was all. She was always. You had this Jane Saki or something like that. Your yeah, White House. Yeah, Jane Saki. She'd always say, "I'm gonna circle back on that. I'm gonna circle <laughs> it back." Was on always that. her thing. <laughs> so it's always good to know that Jonathan's a good Democrat. All right, what were you gonna say? <laughs> oh yes, yes, I am. I wanted to, I wanted to tease out some of the nuances if I could and unpack a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, forgive me. Okay, so back back to Genesis two. Okay, I a thought here in verse sixteen very practical thought as opposed to what we were just thinking about of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat and the very next word but and the idea of freedom is there is no such thing as absolute freedom absolute freedom it always comes with at least one mm. rule that's good in order for you or it's not freedom right and explain that to me from a historical perspective as well Brother, Brother Jim. Oh, I, when um, our founders wanted to establish liberty, um, they, they understood that freedom only exists. So Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, when he defines liberty, and then he defines uh, religious liberty. When he defines liberty, the, only those laws that protect the common good without undue restriction, anything other than that is tyranny. So, you know, the, the old adage was my freedom to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. Every freedom has to have a limitation. So a good example is, um, I'm sure you've all seen it, somebody walking a German shepherd down the street and a little chihuahua comes up and starts coming at the German shepherd. Well, the only reason that Chihuahua can do that is because there's a fence there. That fence gives him the freedom to do that, or he'd be lunch for a German shepherd. Every, every freedom 
has to have a limitation or it's not free. So that's why the people with the most money in the world, they, they're not happy because there's no limitation to what they can do. So uh, every freedom requires some kind of a limitation in order for it to be enjoyed. And, and I can say from a practical standpoint uh, or from a pop culture standpoint, Elon Musk's biography written by Walter Isaacson has a statement there saying if any if anyone could have purchased happiness it would be Elon Musk who was at the time of the writing the mo the richest man in the world and yet he went through wild mood swings and he was never happy unless he was actually trying to streamline something and build something that was impossible <laughs> and it just goes right along with it uh what you were just saying having boundaries uh is not a bad thing it's a necessary thing so you want to mm -hmm. say you, you can't love everything. True true love yep. has to choose. And the boundary, especially for limited beings. Yes. You know, I've heard, I don't know, maybe some, some uh, you guys can confirm this or a farmer maybe listening into us, somebody who's more knowledgeable with the agricultural husbandry world. But I heard that if you take off the fence for cows, they will get scared. They will feel threatened that there's no protection. They will gather together in a group. Hmm in the center of the land. And if you put a fence, they'll feel comfortable to spread out. And so the fence actually increases their, um, <clears throat> forgive me, their, their practical freedom because it increases their sense of security. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. I'm not your go-to farmer. <laughs> You're in farming country <laughs> though. That's for sure. I am. I am. Um, so let, let me then say that of every tree there in, in chapter 16, and we've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, or so, depending on how far we go. Of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Okay, so God says, you're allowed to eat of every tree of the garden. Thou may. He didn't say you had to. You, you can, if you want. You may. But there's one tree... Thou shalt not eat of it. And I do want to point out one thing. Um, it, when I think about man's free will and God's foreknowledge or God's uh, command, whatever, notice the first command to man is that then that's the first miss right there. Because thou shalt not eat of it is a definitive statement. We understand because of man, because we, we have Adam's nature, we understand that he, or at least we think he's saying, you are not supposed to eat of it. But what he said was, thou shalt not eat of it. And then he says, in the day that thou eatest thereof, um, thou shalt surely die. What I find interesting is there is a direct command, thou shalt not eat of it. And if you will if you want to look at it that way, a prophecy, you are not going to eat of it. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it reminds me of First John. I write the unto you little children that you sin not. Hmm. But when if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Right. If any man Jesus sin. Christ. And then he goes yeah, on to say, in the day that thou eatest thereof. We understand that as hypothetical. But, but it, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. But I just find it interesting that he says... Hmm. You're, thou shalt not eat of it, and, and we understand he's saying you're not supposed to eat of it. But then he also goes on to say, in the day that thou eatest thereof. 
What do you think, George? Do you follow my line of reasoning here? Are Are you saying? <clears throat> I need a clarification. Are you saying that thou shalt not eat of it? Uh, can be taken in the sense of a prophecy? Well, I'm saying that if you were to look at it very strictly, he said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So in one sense, it's saying this is not going to happen. But now we know according to thou mayest, it's got to be contingent, it's got to be a choice, right? But it seems like you could take that one phrase, if you were to take it stand alone, you could say, okay, that's what it means. It means it's not going to happen. Now I'm bending it, bend, you know, going into a mind bending a little bit, but just think of it this angle. If you were to take that one phrase stand alone, then that would mean God was saying mankind is not going to eat of it. But I think that's what happens many times in theology. You take one phrase and don't look at the context in which that phrase is. Oh, yeah, that, definitely, yeah. Loses it. But then also, in the day that thou eatest thereof. I just find that phrase so interesting. He said, don't yeah, do Yeah, I think it's really interesting right there, if I may. And I don't guess I've thought of it before. That, and this maybe this, maybe I should have, and everybody else has already thought of it. But it says in verse 16, and the Lord said, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Well, that includes the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. You can freely eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Hmm. Don't do it. Hmm. And I think one of the points you were making right there, Jonathan, was um, if his will must always be obeyed, well, then why did they ever eat because he said thou shalt not but then the the just the construction of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die it sure appears like he's saying they were going to eat of it and they were surely going to die um but that so when you were asking about the prophecy george in a sense it seems like that's what the text is saying but I'm just thinking out loud right now. I'm, I've not yeah, considered just, what I'm saying. I just read it. <clears throat> to me, the context seems thou shalt not eat it is like the commandments thou shalt not bear false witness, you know. And in the day that thou eatest thereof is a, is a clarification that the judgment would be swift and accomplished in that same day and not but delayed. But that freedom to eat <clears throat> is expressed in verse 16. They are free to eat of that tree. Yes, and then, and then with the limiting conditionality. Yeah. The falls right after but and I, next I think, verse. I think that there's two things going on there. I think probably more than two, but you're right, Brother Jim. Thou mayest. So how do we know that? God did not prevent them. In fact, why did God need to give them a choice if he was going to prevent them from eating it? The freedom was there, and then God's, God's preference, not just his preference, but his command. I liken that to the great commandment. His will. His will. You know, when the Lord says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. But when does God force us to love him? The command is definitely there, but the, yeah. the forcing <clears throat> is not there. God did not make right. the choice, but he allows us to make our choice. And I think that's all the Christian life is saying, not my will, but thine be done. Even Christ himself had to surrender to that, to say, I know what I want, but I'm more concerned with what yeah. my father sure. wants. God, God's will 
is, you know, the Calvinists will say that God's will is never thwarted. God's will is thwarted every time anyone sins. <clears throat> I mean, where he has allowed it to be thwartable, right? He has set the parameters of where you can thwart his will and where you cannot. Uh, and in his, so in, in his sovereignty, uh, we know that sinning is not the will of God. There's nobody that could... Actually, I did read a paper, I might do a video about it, by a Calvinist thinker who's uh, basically now saying God is the author of sin, but not responsible for sin. But they are now so pushed so far out on the edge that they're actually writing papers. We're saying, yeah, he is the author of sin. Mm. At least it's a consistent position. But it's it not is. the will of God to sin. Yeah, it's not the yeah, will Arthur of God King for us to sin. said that Adam had to eat the fruit. Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but every time you sin, you're going against the will of God because it can't be the will of God for you. To, he's not, it does in the sense of desire. So at the very least, you're thwarting his desire. And he, he has, it's, I think it's wonderful of the Lord that he has put himself in such a vulnerable position where he can experience frustration and have free-willed creatures. He so respects our free will that he will allow it to cause him terrible harm. Mm. And he still gives us that most tragic of all gifts. Mm. Yes. And that's what, re yeah. that's what real love is all about. Sure. You're taking the risk. And since, since we've got Brother Jim, I wanted to ask you, I asked Brother Jonathan this during the week. I want to hear your thoughts on this. A couple of the verses I have a hard time with that I would like to ask the Lord about. <clears throat> um, um, you know, the Lord, he says, for example, when he's chiding, he's chastising uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. He says, for the, if the mighty deeds which were done in you were done in, uh, you know, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he mentions... Um, couple other cities he says they would long ago have repented in dust and ashes and he says sodom would have remained unto this day so so that shows you that that's a great illustration by the way of uh, the lord's uh, counterfactual knowledge which which is uh, counterfactual foreknowledge so the lord knows if i had done something different another outcome would have uh, been materialized so the lord knows that if he had sent somebody a prophet to perform miracles in sodom and gomorrah Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented. And so my question is, so why didn't he? If the Lord, because my view of God, and I might be mistaken, is that the Lord always max, he created, when he created the world and he took all the parameters of man's free will and angelic free will into consideration, he still set it up. He still, so he's created the kind of world which maximizes the most souls saved. You know, he's optimizing for that in his kind of creation yeah. parameters. <clears throat> if that seems to be the case, I may be mistaken. So given how I think of him that way, then I'm asking him like, well, then if you knew that, you know, there was a way you could have brought him to the repentance by their own free will. Why didn't you send somebody to do miracles? Of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, I, I would say two things to agree with your statement about how God works so that the maximum can be saved. That's what Acts 17 is saying when it says that God ordained the uh, times and bounds of our habitation so that we can seek him and find him. He, he created, he, he put us, he had us born where and when we were born so that we could find him. And that's the grace and mercy of God. So why didn't he provide those since he knew what the outcome would be if they had seen those same miracles why didn't he do those miracles well he only chose to do miracles three times so moses and the next generation with elijah and then uh, jesus and the apostles and 
what's the third time? I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on it. I know the fourth time is when Moses and Elijah come back in the tribulation period and they're able to do signs and wonders again. Um, you're talking about like a concentrated packet of miracles? Because there's yes. you can follow miracles pretty yeah, much. Moses and Joshua and then Elijah and Elisha mm-hmm. and then uh, Jesus and his apostles. That's okay. the only times that he's done, used men to perform miracles, signs and wonders. Um, th- that's it. Those are the only times in scripture that he's done that. And his plan has always been to reveal truth and have people respond to the truth. When has he ever done those miracles when dealing with his people in the land? That, that's, that's when he's done that because they are his people and they are stiff-necked people and the Jews require a sign the Greeks seek after wisdom. And only a wicked and adulterous generation can seek after a sign. And the word generation is almost always in the Bible. It's talking about the generation of a people. It's not talking about time. It's talking about seed. So when you see all of that, well, God's plan is that you believe without the miracle and that the miracles are for the Jews. And that's so that that's my answer on that. Well, OK, so let me let me kind of modify it then. The Lord says that Jonas was assigned unto the Ninevites. Yes. Who are Gentiles. And he didn't do any miracle, but he was assigned to them. So I don't want to read too much into it, but I suppose the fact that he had gone through the whale and come out and then crossed hundreds of kilometers to get to them, somehow they took him as a sign. Yeah. And it was Um, used in the Jewish scriptures to demonstrate that God wanted to extend his grace to people outside of the Jews. Right, to the Gentiles. Right. So So that was still a sign to the Jews as well. Yes. And he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah miraculously from heaven. So he then did. why not? So instead of like a healing miracle, why not um, have sent uh, a man like Jonas who would be assigned to the, to the Sodomites? Well, he sent them a lot. You know, the Bible says he vexed his righteous soul daily. I, okay, I, so, and I don't have the answer. I'm just. Yes, because then it would be yeah. then it would be this. Then the conclusion would be, I know that if I would have done a miracle, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented. But, but I'm I the dispensational setting must overrule the salvation of souls, and so to respect the dispensational setting, I'm not going to do miracles to the sodomites and let them burn. I suppose that's one way you could express it, but what I would say is God has chosen the way He wants people to respond, and there are a lot of people today that say, "What would it take for you to believe?" I want them to write my name in the sky. Well, God's. God has chosen how he wants people. He's going to reveal truth and he expects them to respond to the truth that he has revealed. Um, And the fact that he reveals anything is simply his grace. Uh, So I don't know. I I guess I just take the opposite side of it. Uh, He's saying that's why you are so much more responsible. These people would have believed if they had that. My plan is not for that. This is how much I've chosen you. This is how much I love you. That's that's the way that I would approach that. Okay, what would you say, I, I, I don't know that I'm right. I've not considered it. The well, way no, I hear. That. Yeah, I hear you. Thank well, you. Well, I think yeah. I think it's really, and important. I don't know what the answer is. That's why I'm asking the question. I think it's really important that you ask the question because, honestly, if you're expecting to hit a hit a home run and you're waiting to swing until you hit a home run, you'll never hit a home hmm. run. You have to strike out, and we call this the lab. Uh, it's open source. All of our software is open source. Yeah, uh, Matt calls us the investigators. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Bible Hardy Boys. Um, yeah, because what we're trying to do, what you're hearing is you're hearing 
what preachers ask questions about of other preachers. And you know, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about the Bible, it doesn't belong to preachers. It belongs to God right. and, he, and it belongs to every person who is in Christ. It's a, it's a, a magnificent book. If you find out an answer to that question, it's going to come from the scripture and the Holy Spirit is yeah. going to say, you know, what? well, and don't you think that fits, George, don't you think on that, that that's, that's the point that Jesus was making. So everything he did for Israel, everything he did for those people, um, and they still rejected it. Isn't that the point? If Sodom had this, they'd, they'd be around till today. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it is the point, but it's at the expense of lost souls that God has loved infinitely. Yeah. Because we can kind of like um, exclude Israel, the whole uh, Gentile Israel distinction out of it by asking something else. Like when the Lord talks about Judas Iscariot and he says, good for that man uh, if he had not been born, mm -hmm. you know? Then that makes me think, well, then why didn't the Lord, something else I would ask him is, why didn't you, looking down the corridors of whatever, let's say he does that, okay, for argument's sake, looking down the corridors of time and seeing who would repent and or not, then you would choose to only create those men who would repent. So why create at all anybody that you knew would ultimately reject you and, and be disconnected from you and break your heart? Yeah, it's just that whole concept of creation, free will, and then the sacrifice that he made for everyone. So he has an, rendered, in that scenario, he has you still have free will, see? He has rendered everyone savable. Yes, no, he, yeah, definitely. But in that scenario, I just, it. I, I just preached on this recently. I, I preached a message called Why Do the Heathen Rage? I'm preaching through the book of Acts. And so they're in Acts chapter four. That's what they're praying. God, why yeah. did the heathen rage? And or why why did the heathen rage? And well, he can stop it. You know, he did stop it at the flood. He can stop all the heathen from raging. He can do that. But he has chosen to allow the heathen to rage because allowing the heathen to rage also allows some people to believe. And why doesn't he intervene more supernaturally for people to come to him? Because he has determined the minimum response. And there was a minimum response that those people had to give. And it had to be without... Yeah the supernatural sign for them. Yeah. I, I see. Like why that did he do that? And I know you know that, but why yeah, no, did no, he yeah. do that? I don't know. That, that last scenario that I posited, I don't, I don't even have the beginning of a, an answer to, but the one with Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the things that came to mind is like, <clears throat> why should the Lord be held uh, kind of uh, um, compelled to exercise the maximum amount of influence and pressure to bring someone right. uh, to salvation when he has, exercised a sufficient amount of influence to bring him to salvation. And, and it's, when he, it's, on the Judas thing, he, he was saying it'd be better for that man. That's my understanding. Of the yeah, yeah, no, he was. But then you can extrapolate that yeah. to, that would, because this, that truth made of Judas is actually true of anybody that ends up in hell. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Anybody, ends, yeah, anybody who ends up in a lake of fire, with God, they had not been born. So yeah, that's what I would ask the Lord. It's not God's will that any of them go there. Right, yeah. So yeah, that's what's like, true repentance. why don't you just create those people who you, who you knew would repent and their free will is preserved in this scenario. And the other, 
you know, why do bad things happen to good people? How could a loving God condemn people to hell? I think that we need to flip that to the other side. What greater, con- what greater contrast of choices could God give us? Eternal bliss with the eternal God who is all good versus the absence of everything that's good. Heaven and hell are, are, are corresponding opposites. He, he couldn't have created. How could he create a greater contrast of choices. These, you got two choices. Yeah. You know, so if I said to you, okay, here's your choice. You can eat a dove bar or I'll cut your hand off. Well, I get something that's really fun and good or I have horrible punishment. Well, you, I mean, you still, you, still, you still have that contrast in this scenario where he would only create those people who he knew would repent and they would see, let's say, the angels in the lake of fire. And they, those people would, those humans would be facing heaven or hell, but, but he only created those ones that he knew would repent. So but the contrast it, is there, and the free will is there. Isn't isn't it true though that, that I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So, the Lord uses the law to prove that I am unrighteous, to prove mm-hmm. to me, I prove to myself that I am unrighteous. So you have, in a sense, um, the um, the miniature, the tiniest little choice that a man makes. He knows that he is doing wrong when he does wrong. That's the what we call the age of accountability. When he realizes what he's doing is wrong, and he does it. So hasn't he already chosen that I am not willing to deny myself in order to do the right thing? Hasn't he already seen the contrast? Not to the nth degree, but he's seen it in miniature. And isn't that what God said? Isn't that what God gave to um, to Adam and to Eve, the choice, deny yourself this one thing in order to please me. I give you all these other options, but sin puts blinders on us and says, there's only one thing that can make me happy, this one thing. And because of that, mankind is held responsible. And God said, if I were to come back and show you a lot more stuff, you, they would have not, it didn't say that they would not have sinned. It said they would have repented of their sin. So they already have sinned. But if they'd seen this, they would have repented. So in a sense, people are being judged and being sent to hell, not because they didn't see the miracle. They're being sent to hell because they rejected God's commandment that they willingly chose. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? I think so. Um, and, and kind of the accusation against God is, why didn't you do more? Mm-hmm. That's that. That's what the, the accusation is. Yeah, one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like on the miracle, uh, miracles in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, not seeing that. Man, I, I don't have the answers on those things. Uh, you know, if you went to our website, I've, I've preached quite a few sermons on this subject, you know, but... Um, uh, on the specific examples, it would have been better if he had never been born for him. But God never made him betray him. Mm-hmm. He gave him the options. Yes. And and the point that I brought out, George, uh, in regards to that man by whom it is written, it was written that a man would do that, and a specific man, but Judas's name was never mentioned. And... He, and so it woe unto that man that does it. 
he decided that he was going to do it. He was the one. I think the devil always has the Antichrist, so to speak, ready to go. And he chose yep. to do that, but it was not something that God and God intended for him to do. God didn't force him to do it. And it would have been better for him if he'd never been born. Why? Because the choice that he made was his own free will. If he had not even been born, he never would have made the choice to do the wrong thing and end up in, in hell. Yeah, that, yeah, that's why I, I, I kind of moved to just any person who ends up in the lake of fire. It's still true of them that it would have been better for them to uh, not to have been born. Well, and and George, God... I think the answer on that, what you just said, is could God have created only people that would repent? Right. That's my question, yeah. Apparently not. Or he could, but chose not to. Right. So, yes, the way that I said it limited God, which was my fear always whenever I try to describe something. Okay. Um, my point is, since God is good and everything that he does is good, the way he did it is clearly the best. It must be, yeah. Must be. Why? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can see why that causes people to reject God. Yeah. Because even on the free will part, we were discussing this with Jonathan too. Like even on the free will part, there's people who have in their free will would choose not to have been alive. And that the Lord still created them, you know. And for all I know, there's people that the Lord knew would want not to be alive and he didn't create them. <laughs> That's possible too, you know. <laughs> it's possible. It's a weird thought, but it's possible some people will never exist because... God knew that in X scenario, they wish they would never exist. And the Lord says, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, <it's, laughs> and that's why they don't exist. <laughs> I think I just pulled a muscle in my head. <laughs> well, and, and listeners, if you're going, you guys are ridiculous. You, this is so stupid. It's all so stupid. Be careful with that mindset. Because what we're doing is we're discussing hypotheticals, possibilities, what could have been, and why are we doing it? We're doing it because of what we see in the written word of God, and we're extrapolating backwards into time past, saying, what was God thinking? At the end of the day, we bow our knees to the Father, of whom the whole family, uh, family in heaven and earth is named, and we say, you are our God. You are bigger than we can imagine, but we are impressed by you, and we are humbled by you, and we will follow you. We don't follow you because you make all the sense in the world. You make 90% sense in our minds, and the rest of it we don't understand. That's not on God. That's on me. Yeah. And it has to leave place for faith and trust. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who do I think yeah. I am? And I think that's the challenge that we have. Uh, the theologians have this challenge of, man, somehow because I understand more of God than you do, somehow I've got a saddle on God, and I'm riding him. There's no way in the world, man. No. All of us are still wondering and questioning. And Paul said, after having been given the mystery of the, uh, of the church, after having been met Christ uh, on the road to Damascus and, and quite possibly in the deserts of Arabia, after having been shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and, and, and to the point of starvation and thirsty and fasting, he says that I may know him mm -hmm. and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable into his death, if by any means... I might attain of the resurrection of the dead. He said that after, when he has already experienced more yeah. than a Christian life than any of us have. That's right. Not life. as though I had already attained or were already perfect. Christ is infinite. He's infinite. 
and yet he but then he said let as many of us as be perfect yes yeah (laughs) right so what is it i'm perfect in christ i'm accepted in the beloved and yet i am not but in my flesh yeah yeah i'm still desiring i still want to and uh that's what a blessing what a blessing that's where i end up on these with these questions basically my i fall back to lord i don't i can't think of an intellectual answer but yeah i remember you're the man you're you know the man that that died for me on the cross and took my hell yeah. for me so he, whatever he did it was a terrible personal cost and so i must believe unfathomable that, yeah 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 so it, it i must believe that this is the best possible world given all uh given the, the given the, the god's respect for man's free will this is the best possible scenario that could have played out i have to trust his goodness and he's given I, I me wanna... sufficient reason even though i don't understand it all he has given me sufficient reason to trust him mm. about it all i'm sure i don't need to say this i'm sure your viewers are aware of this but we're just in different roles right now i could have asked you these same questions and said okay you explain to me and then you would have done your best to think of scripture and give an answer um none of us are doubting who god is no or his grace or his mercy these are questions that people are asking and it's good for us to wrestle with them um and i don't know how much time we have but let's turn it around if i was going to ask you why did god allow judas to be born somebody asked you that question how would you answer that question? Well, it, it goes back to the scenario I posited. I would, I would have to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't because the, the, the alternative scenario is not so much about Judas for me. It's just about then why didn't just God create a world where no, where everybody ends up repenting, even if they mess up. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't. Hmm. And with that, we bid you adieu. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I told I told you, brother Jim, this is raw. We get in, we we it's Play-Doh, man. Make whatever you want, but the show comes to an end, and the Play-Doh has to dry. And once okay, once it's dried, it'll never no. Listen, this that's this is a good time to email us witsendguys at gmail dot com. Witsendguys at gmail dot com. If you've got an answer, um, or you can respond on the YouTube channel, whatever. Uh, again. We haven't written the book on it, so we, we don't have uh, reason to make money or lose money on this particular issue. Now, he's written books on other issues, but these are areas where they, it really does stretch your, stretch your mind a little bit and, and consider. And I, I, I thought of a verse several times in this. You know, the Lord uses this, and I don't think there's been any heresy here, intentional or unrepentant heresy today. But he did use that term where he said, there must needs be heresies that they which are approved may be made manifest. Proved among you, maybe may manifest. Hmm. It is a heresy that says, wait just a minute, and causes you to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So if this thing has sparked you, this discussion has said, wait just a minute. We're not talking about a particular church or a school or a philosophy. We're talking about the words of God. What do they say? And I honestly, I think I've proven this, and I hope, I hope that I mean it when I say I'm willing to be corrected with the Bible. Uh, yes, me too. It just has Absolutely. to include the whole counsel of God. It can't be one particular verse. And yeah. uh, so when we fit this together, uh, if you've got ideas, 
uh, you're thinking about it, you're driving in your truck right now, you're going, wait a minute, they forgot about this. Hey, let us know. We want to put that. Yeah, absolutely. Because what it does is it increases our faith in God's word, our love for him, and an, an opportunity really to be admonished by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I think God uses the body of Christ in a unique way to do that. So we're about, uh, uh, we're about 20 minutes over what we normally do, but that's okay. Uh, Brother George, uh, let me start with Brother Jim. Any, any final words you want to say to the listeners before we close? Just how fun this is. I love that this is my first time being on with you guys. And, um, of course, Jonathan, you and I have been friends for a long time. I met George at your church. I was so impressed with your work and your mind and what you're able to accomplish. And uh, th- this is just fun for me. So thank you very much. That's our privilege. Brother George? Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm excited to go look at your website, but I'm dreading it. Part of me doesn't want to because it's going to be an overload of information. I'm going to want to suck it all up and steal it. <laughs> it's and yours. I have, I, and I have enough to process. Yeah. Like, you haven't gotten to yeah, my books I'm, yet, I'm George. Torn, you, know? you haven't even finished my books. <laughs> oh, my. Did you write? Did you write any books? <laughs> no, I oh, haven't. Man, I haven't either. I haven't either. Well, I mean, there's one in, in the process of being published, but... Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, I would I would speak to the those two things that you already addressed. Uh, Jonathan is, is part of the audience would be like this is foolish, but then we watch movies about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's better than talking about vain things. On the other side, there's people who thrive only on these kinds of discussions, and I think that would lend to an imbalanced <laughs> Christianity. You got to live somewhere in between. So this yeah. is cool stuff. It's fascinating. Our God is great, man. Mm. He really is, but. You still have to go out there and pray and just be a pound the pavement and get get your hands dirty in the work of God and preach the gospel and and live right. You know, Amen. you yeah. can be a, you can be a master theologian and be as wicked as hell. Yeah, and never tell anybody about Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So get out there and uh, if if this God is so wonderful and great, go tell somebody about him, and um and and wow. spend some time in your Bible. You know, talk to Amen. him in prayer. Do something about it and uh, don't live. Wow. Don't live in an ivory tower. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll look forward to having Brother Jim back on again. Don't forget, it's gracebaptistsydney.com, I think. Yes, that's right. S S I D N E Y. That's right. Okay. so yeah, They spelled Sydney wrong. Okay. Well, those people, you'll never get, they're Ohioans. Yeah. So thank you for being <laughs> with us. Okay, I'm, <laughs> and you can, you can disconnect. That. We can talk after. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time, and uh, Lord bless you. Take care.